Hi, this is Jackie Phillips. Hi, this is Steve Romaine. Welcome to Reset. On Power 91.1 FM WTYJ. Reset because you deserve it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Reset. Jackie, it's great to see you. Welcome to Reset. Nice to see you, too. How are you? I'm great. You're on location. You're traveling now, right? I am. I'm traveling. I'm on tour. Um, and I'm in L.A. today. I'm here for, like, a bunch of days, so I'm excited. Wow. It's sunny, as you can see. <laughs> I can see sunny California. Lucky you. I'm excited. I hope I get to go to the pool a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's like an hour in the morning, it'll make me happy. Well, that's cool. (laughs) I know you've been working out a lot, so you get a chance to show off those guns, right? I don't know. It's up to Chuck to let me know if I really have guns. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, tonight's guest, as I introduce him, Chuck Ilion, is truly a specimen. You talk about guns, you got to see the guns on this guy. Now he's 78 and I just watched him do literally 400 push-ups within an eight minute time period. Phenomenal. Wow. Phenomenal. So, you know, Chuck used to play for the NFL. He's a veteran and, and he's a dad and he's a great role model. He's a true mentor and a serial entrepreneur. And I'm so excited to have my good friend, Chuck Ilion. Let's welcome him to Reset. Chuck, welcome to Reset. Happy to be on Reset, and uh, always a pleasure to sit beside Seafood because there seems to be some verbal magnet that transcends from him to me, and I like that. I'm always learning something. Well, you know, a lot of times I'm on stage and I tell these great stories, and people don't know where I get them from. That's where I get them from. I get them from Chuck. All my great stories come from Chuck. So... <laughs> We're going to start tonight by actually listening to a great story. Chuck is going to, I'm going to ask Chuck to actually share his life story a little bit with us. Okay. Because you have a very interesting story, and I know there's a lots of resets. But, but just tell us a little bit about Chuck, where you're from, how you grew up, your gotcha. parents. Your... Okay. Well, Jackie, um, originally I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and uh, I was raised in the South, uh, I guess about... Uh, one one of the claim of fame that I have is I'm about uh, I was born in Memphis and we were about four miles from Elvis Presley. And, oh, nice. and, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I want to say this story while I'm on Elvis Presley. Um, when I was playing for high school, um, my brother and I was going down the main drag in Tennessee, and I was driving the car, and it just so happened that. Um, I was going to play uh, one of our rival high schools the next day, and I was on the radio. The announcer was saying, Chuck Ilion going to have be tested tomorrow when they play Melrose, which has won five games and lost none, and uh, Booker Washington, which was my school, had played five games but lost two. But uh, we're looking for a good game from Chuck Ilion. So just as he was talking about that, a car pulled up next to us at the red light. And, and my brother was, uh, Lonnie was in the seat. So he said, Charles, look who's in the next car. This is <laughs> so I said, I said, is he looking at me? He said, man, no, he's not looking at you. So I said, well, I'm not going to look at him. Man. I'm the one that's being talked about on the radio. So, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Memphis, um, Memphis was my hometown, uh, South Memphis. 
And um, you come from was, a big family. It was the ghetto, and everybody in that area mostly had four to seven kids, and there was seven in my family. But uh, the amazing thing about it, Jackie, is that uh, it's always interesting being born into a family like that because you feed off the other person. And uh, a lot of the things that, that we learn from, uh, from parents who only had a grade school education, I think my mother finished the eighth grade, but that's where when Sifu talked to me about what I say to him that seems to have some uh, relevance to some of the speeches that he made, it comes from my mother, you know, and I'm talking about someone who, um, who has an eighth grade education, but wisdom wow. beyond any. Um, uh, I, I remember one of the things I think I told Sifu that she had told me a long time ago, that um, uh, I was always talking about having money and, and I watch TV and I see all these TV programs, mom and dads, and they got this big, beautiful house. And I, I, I told my mother, you know, uh, I must have been about 10 or 11 years old. I said, I can't wait. To, I can get up and buy my own home, uh, have a nice car. Because actually in Memphis, a black family couldn't have two cars. And don't think about buying a Cadillac. You had to be very wealthy to buy a Cadillac. And there was one gentleman who was, uh, belonged to a band. He had a Cadillac, and he bought his wife a Cadillac. And wow. there was an uproar in Memphis, but... And what year was this? That was in 49, you know, early 50s, 49, 50. But uh, I, again, I was telling my mom all the time, I want this, I want that. So I never will forget, and I was sharing this with Sifu sometime when we get in a family conversation. My mom said, uh, Charles, always remember, you can have anything in this world you want if you help enough other people to get what they want. Oh, so, yes. So that was something that, that sticks with me even to the day, you know. And, uh, and, and, and I refused to let somebody be nicer to me than I can to them, which was oh. another part of her of her teaching. So when people ask me about, about these things, um, obviously I listen to some of the other leaders that I've been a, a part of, um, uh, but, but mostly my mom has given me a good background and how to live a Christian and a perfect life. That's perfect as, to be. Yes, I was gonna say, it sounds like, like her education was the Bible and the school of life. That Absolutely. makes you the smartest, you know? Absolutely, uh, without a doubt. And all seven of us, we'd have to wake up on Sunday and, uh, yeah. and, and go to Sunday school and then sit through service when all of our buddies were playing, doing all kinds of things in the neighborhood, which we wanted to be a part of. But uh, at that time, Sunday was her day. Wow. The other Monday through yeah. Saturday, maybe, we could kind of do what we wanted to do within boundaries, you know, but Sunday uh, was, was her day. And Chuck, you, so you're one of seven. What number are you? <laughs> I hate to put it that way. Well, actually, yeah. actually see, I'm in the middle. You're in the middle. Uh, I'm, I'm the baby in the older group, and I'm the oldest in the baby group. So who's number one? Lonnie? My sister is number oh, one. Oh, your sister's number one. Yeah. And, and Jackie, I'm glad you asked that question because I just want to say, um, again, 
It's seven of us. And uh, seafood. Name, name everybody. Seafood. In order. Okay, seafood told you how old I was. So I'm just yes. going to. My sister, Doris, is the oldest. She's the PhD doctor uh, uh, in Detroit. Uh, my brother, Robert, is, uh, is in Cleveland. Now, first of all, I want to say, because I might skip this, all seven of us have finished college. Wow. Raised in the ghettos wow. with ambition, wow. with ambition. And my sister, obviously, being the oldest, she was the first one to go to college. I had no, I had no desire at all. I just wanted to finish high school. <laughs> but yeah. as I said earlier, in families like ours, we usually feed off the other one. And my sister was a majorette. A uh, beautiful, beautiful young girl, made direct, yeah. and um, I and I loved seeing her in her little uniform out on there with her green and gold outfit, mm-hmm. you know, dancing at halftime of football. And so, Doris is the oldest; she's eighty-two. Robert is the is the next. Uh, he's eighty. No, Doris eighty-four, and Robert is eighty-two. Lonnie is eighty. I'm seventy-eight. Leonard is 65. Wow. Michael is Nate. He's 63. And none of them look their age. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, yeah, you look so young. And, and we all, uh, all of us are still living, thank God. And thank God. We're within our neighborhood because I'll say at least 80% of the kids that we grew up with in my neighborhood uh, is dead. So oh. we've been blessed in, in a number of ways. Yeah. Uh, as I said earlier, um, my mother didn't have money to send any of us to college. Uh, I managed to get a scholarship. Uh, my sister worked. Uh, Robert worked before he went. So he stayed out a year and he went a year. Stayed out a year until he graduated. Uh, oh, wow. I'm sorry, go ahead. That is such determination. Uh, yeah. yeah, but let me tell you the last part, the baby, who happened to be Colas, and he had uh, he played for the Seahawks and the Jets. He he had two quarters to go at, um, at the Middle, T- Middle Tennessee State. Two quarters. He stayed out of school 15 years before he went back to get his uh, undergraduate degree. Wow. And when he got his undergraduate, he started working his master's. So he has his undergraduate and master's after waiting 15 years to go back time. to school. Yeah. So uh, I'm saying that to say the determination. Uh, it, seems yeah. to, it seems to resonate well in our family. Yes. Um, with, with many of the things that we've been, we was taught uh, by our parents. Uh, so did you go right to college after high school? Because you no, were also in the military. Right. I, I didn't go right to college. Uh, what I, I had a scholarship to Mississippi State, but I didn't want to go there because I wanted to go to Tennessee State. And that's the school of athletes. Uh, they were always beating up on everybody. And they had a, they always come to Memphis once a year to play one of their games in Memphis. And I couldn't, I said, man, I got to play for them. I can't wait. So um, uh, uh, I, after I finished high school, I didn't go right to college because I wanted to go to Tennessee State and I didn't have a scholarship to Tennessee State. I had a scholarship to, Mil- to Mississippi. So what I did is I worked uh, for six months and I made enough money to pay my own way to go to Tennessee State. So I paid this, I went during the Christmas, but we was on the quarter basis. Mm-hmm. So after Christmas, I went to Tennessee State 
And that spring, I went out for football. Well, I couldn't play until I was the next year, which was my second year. So I, um, I, I went out for football, and I won a scholarship. First time it had been done uh, in the history of Tennessee State. Someone had made the team, wow. and I made the first-ring team that coming year. So I was the first player that had walked on and made a uh, first-ring team for Tennessee State. And uh, that's the school, Jackie, that um, I don't know if you remember Dick Barnett, who played uh, with, um, who played with uh, the Lakers and yes. the rest of his time with, uh, with the Knicks. Uh, Wilma Rudolph, who happened to be a personal friend of mine before she died. And when she used to come up here, she used to ask me, uh, uh, Deli, uh, which was my nickname. Okay. Uh, I'm coming to New York. Can you escort me to this affair? So I was her escort when she came to New York, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and you know who Wilma yeah. is, yeah. right? She has good taste. Yeah, and then you got the other outstanding players, Two Tall Jones, and, and a lot of other players that have been playing professional football as well. Wow, that was yeah. just a... So how did you end up in the military? Good question. Uh, so I didn't volunteer. So you got drafted. I was drafted. And the thing oh. was, after I finished college... That was for what, Vietnam? Uh, no, I wasn't drafted. Vietnam, was, it hadn't started yet. Yeah. It was on the uproar, mm -hmm. but it hadn't started. But when I went in, uh, it was during the Vietnam time because when I was getting out, that's when it had escalated. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting, but I'm, before I get to that part of the story, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, after I finished college, I graduated. And um, uh, I graduated June 4th. And my mom called me and said, Charles, you got some, some military papers here. So, oh, no. so when I went home, I was supposed to report to, um, uh, to Fort Benning, Georgia, Fort Polk, Louisiana, uh, June 6th. I graduated in June 4th. Yes. Two days right later, I was saying, uh, raising my hand or whatever it is, repeating. So that's what happened. So I was there. I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana for a basic training, and someone dared me to go out for um, to go uh, 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 to go out for uh, uh, paratrooper. Ooh! I said, man, I am not gonna even I would I don't even want to jump off this curb. You know, I'm not out <laughs> so, so, but listen, I I I teach well. Why don't you just take the test? So I decided to take the test, and obviously I passed. Next, yeah. no, I'm up. I'm up was about 4,000 feet standing in a doorway to jump out of a plane when it was flying all right mm. with a pack on my back and parachute. So that's how I got into um, a jump school and became a paratrooper while I was in the Army. And, uh, Did you run track in the military? Yeah, that's exactly right. See, so what happened was uh, I, started, I got in special duties and I started running track representing the Army. And it just so happened that one of the generals uh, heard about me and Fort Camel and the 82nd Airborne was live football rivals. They would play each other. And when he heard that I had, I had a, a contract to go to Kansas City Chiefs, he said, I want him. I want him to come to Fort Camel. And I wanted to go to Fort Camel because it just so happened that when we play uh, Tennessee State, when we play our first game, the exhibition is with Fort Camel, Kentucky. Oh, wow. So I had a chance. I said, wow, that'll help 
we don't have time pass while right. I'm in service. So if I can get the full camera and uh, and I can play football, my time up, you know, will yeah. pass fast. So that's exactly how it went. I, 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 and the general wanted me to come to full camera, so he said, "I want I want him to come to full camera." So that's how I ended up full camera. And to answer, further answer your question about running track, I started. That's going to be a non-broker. So you running track? Yeah, yeah, because they stopped the football team. They didn't let Fort Campbell didn't have a football season that year, mm. which was '64. They didn't have a football team. They cut it out because they were shipping a lot of uh, troops to Vietnam, mm. and uh, and I was running track because of that. So I started running track, uh, representing the army, and. And again, my time went went pretty fast, and and we, I didn't play football against my college, but I did run track against them, and I ran the um, uh, 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 the two twenty relay, and uh, the four forty relay rather, and and it just so happened, I wish you could have seen this man, uh, really, because one of the outstanding football players was anchoring, and I was anchoring. Wow, so you guys were head to head. Well, he had about a five-yard lead on me because my man brought me the stick behind him. I said, oh, man, I got friends up in the stands watching me, try, and this guy is supposed to be one of the faces on the football team. <laughs> so it just so happened that the Dallas Cowboys was in the stands recruiting mm. that day. Mm. And the coach for Tennessee State said, you see him? He's running for Tennessee, the boys running for Tennessee State. Never catch it. So um, I got the stick. I walked him down. Him. <laughs> I left him five years. You know? <laughs> and then the coach for the, the scouts for Dallas said, "Who the heck is that?" This kid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Chuck Miller. He played last year there, but I think he signed for Kansas City Chiefs. You know that kind of thing. But I could not let Nolan Smith. You may, if I mention the name. Other football players would know who he is, but he was a, about five eight, and he was bad man, and fast. But uh, like you said, I walked him down. I couldn't let him beat me. So, 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 yeah. Yeah. they got drafted to the NFL. That's how I got drafted to the NFL because I ran track for the army. I didn't have a scholarship to go. I didn't have. A, I wasn't drafted to go play pro ball. Uh, oh, let me correct that. In the states, I had a contract to go to Montreal Alouettes in Canada, but again, I said no. I'm, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. So I decided. To, plus, the fact I had to go to the army. Right. Yeah. So it then the Kansas City Chiefs brought you into the NFL. Yes. Yeah. And you played for them. I, yeah, I played for them, and uh, I got you in because you went to Philly, right? Yeah, I'm about to tell you. Okay. That. All right. I'm just curious. I have two questions before we get off the subject. How long were you a paratrooper for? Well, I had five jumps. Uh, oh, okay. And I was there for, I, I was in, in service two years. Okay, that was, uh, that was I, I was out of football two years and I was in service for two years because I wasn't, I was drafted. I didn't volunteer. I think at the time, if you, if you, um, if you volunteer, you, you three years, you have to stay in the army at service yeah. two years. But I was drafted, so my time was two years. So um, uh, again, after I finished jump school and came to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the rest of my time was, you know, just like any other athlete, like 
uh, Joe Lewis and other guys, they would just do exhibition things. But it just so happened that I was, um, I, I was running tracks for the Army, along with uh, a number of other, other notable uh, track stars who had been in the Olympic. Uh, for instance, Paul Drayden, uh, who was a quarter, uh, relay, a quarter miler. Uh, with a time of like 42, uh, 41 or 42 speed during that time. Wow. Uh, Mel Pender, a uh, hundred, hundred meter run, you know, it, it, with a time about nine, three or nine, four. So, wow. uh, and so, and my time wasn't bad, but I, I would never have won a race. I could have placed uh, maybe third or fourth wow. in a lot of races, but because I had qualifying Olympic speed, but I didn't have winning time. Mm. My time was like nine five, uh, but the winning time usually in, in uh, uh, Olympic speed, you're talking about nine, like Bob Hayes ran a nine one mm. from Florida. So, you know, you can see that. that four is a lot. It's a big difference. It's a, it's a big difference. yardage yeah. difference though, between a nine one. Is it, is it uh, I'm sorry? Is it because you're taller? Is it because you're taller, yep. do you think? Well, um, well, Mel Pender is about 5'8", and he passes lightning, so I couldn't beat him, and he's only 5'8". He's uh, he got strong legs. Guy. I'm sorry? I didn't hear you, Jackie. No, that was all I said. No, I said, of course, because if you're taller, sometimes it's hard to be fast like a shorter person. Uh, that, right? That doesn't, in, in, um, in, uh, in, in short distance, in, 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 in like 100, 220. Yeah. That that doesn't work, but even though the new boat proved mm -hmm. this, this, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he proved that theory wrong because he's about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, 6'4". Oh. And he's the fastest in the world. And he just got, he's the gift, gifted runner. But yeah. uh, Mel Pender, if you're running a, a, if you're five something, you, it's unlikely that you're going to be successful in distant runs, even from uh, a quarter mile or a half mile. That's a big man's, tall man's race. Mm -hmm. But 100, you know, you can get yeah. out of the block normally mm -hmm. fast. Mm -hmm. You got little quick legs that moves. Mm -hmm. And by the time they yeah. <laughs> you know, unravel those long legs, you know, the, the race is just about over. But again, yeah. uh, uh, Manute uh, uh, dispelled that, that theory. It didn't apply to him. So now you're in the NFL. You're playing for Kansas, Kansas City. City. How did you get to Philadelphia? I was released, uh, and rightfully so. When I went there, I was wearing two. I was wearing two four, and my speed was good. And and I just I think I got cocky. I got satisfied with what I was doing. My speed was good, um, and I was I was happy. I was not happy, but I was okay with my performance mm -hmm. because I was doing pretty good yardage when I was given the ball. Right. But I, we had two-day practice, and the weather was like in Kansas City. That year, uh, the weather was like um, 106 degrees, and we had to practice two times a day wow. with, the, with the uniform on. And I went from uh, 202, 2224, down to 189 pounds in a week. And oh. I was just drained in my performance. Showed it, reflected. Yeah. So, but they were, you know, somebody said, well, did you get hurt? I said, no, I didn't get hurt. I, I, they cut me rightfully so. 
Uh, even though I came in with good performance, mm-hmm. but uh, after a period of time, they had expected me to maintain that uh, increase, mm-hmm. but I, it didn't stay at a level right here, rather than get better. And uh, But they thought enough of my performance to uh, recommend me to Philadelphia, uh, to, to someone that they knew in Philadelphia, and it happened to be somebody I played college ball with, <laughs> Israel Lane. And he, they asked him, well, what about you? What, what do you think about Chuck Ilya? And he said, uh, Super Bowl player. He'll be a credit to the team. So they brought me down and held me out for that year until I learned the system. And actually, Jackie, it, you know, a lot of people think football is just brutal strength. But it's, uh, it's very, very cerebral. Uh, there's yeah. more thought process going into football than a lot of people think. You know? Yeah. And it really teaches you a lot of things, especially business. Um, uh, and, and business people, uh, CEOs, and they love to have athletes because they show dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have that stick-to-itiveness attitude and, yes. uh, and, and, and refuse to lose. And that's yeah. a, good, uh, a good employee. But so I, I ended up in Philadelphia, you know. And I was there for a couple of years. Uh, again, I, I'm not making excuses, but it's hard to go from college to make a professional team. I went from yes. college two years in the Army and then came out to try to make a professional team. And, um, I, I, and again, I believe um, if, if they was a little more patient with me, I would have been able to maybe be in the league a little longer. But as I said, rightfully so, I was released because of my performance. It, you know, it, I didn't come out of college, right out of college ball. I was doing something else in the Army, so forth. So uh, I was just happy that, because that's something that, that's going far ahead. As I was telling you about where I was born in Memphis, that was yeah. my aspiration. I, I really wanted to play first football. And um, I used to look at on the TV and see Jim Brown and Bobby Mitchell and all these players that left various colleges, these black players, and I wanted to be just like them. Yeah. Uh, and all of my all of my thoughts in in the ghettos of Memphis, Tennessee, was focused on seeing me seeing me in uniforms uh, with with my shoulder pads and everything on. And I was very good in my neighborhood, you know, and everybody thought I was going to be, you know, as a matter of fact, we had, my family was one of the baddest families in the neighborhood. And, and, and as they say, you know, we lived on the baddest street in the neighborhood. And as far down in the street that you go, that's how the families was, was geared by their toughness. And we lived in the last house across the railroad track. So that lets you know how bad we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, all in all, we, um, you know, this, my brother Box, my brother Robert, uh, he was the AAU champion with one knockout and one uh, decision. Uh, well, he had five wins, but he had one knockout and, uh, uh, and a split decision. And the guy he, he, he beat, by a split decision went on to turn pro and, and was later killed. Wow. 
what what year was it when you played football? That was well, '66. I came out of the army because I went in at '64. Mm -hmm. So when I got out, I went to Kansas City Chief in '66. And uh, and Eagles '67. And the Eagles in '67, yeah, '67 through '70. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and and after that, you know, I started thinking about the future because again, I knew that um, uh, my my age was a factor, you know. Because the guys from out of college, you're looking at guys who are like 21, 22 years old. I'm 26 now. And, and back then, they weren't making what, what they're making now. Man, no. I, but it was a lot to me. <laughs> it was a lot to me. Yes, uh, I remember when Charles Ferguson went to, went to uh, 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 Minnesota. No, he went to Cleveland first and played with Jim Brown. And I said, man, I got I to gotta follow you, Ferguson. I got to go. So Ferguson was my best friend, played a year with Cleveland Brown, and, uh, and then he was traded to the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. And he was telling me how, Della, you, you love this man. Um, and he signed his contract for 15000 you know. Wow. He was an outstanding receiver at wow. Tennessee State and a super receiver at Cleveland and, and as good in, in Minnesota as he was in Cleveland. So, uh, so he was the one you asked me who was number 80. Oh, yeah, in the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was Charles Ferguson. And uh, I, he used to come back to school and tell me all of the, you know, had his new car and everything. I just visualized me having all that, you know. It was my dream to have all these nice things that I always wanted. And that's when I, I thought about some of the things that my mom used to say about, you know, you can have everything you want if you have other people. So... But um, it so, was a, so. Then you you stopped playing football. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I played the three years, and and uh, I, I see that I wasn't going anywhere, and I was, I was, that I was going to be released anyway because some of the number one draft choices was going to be uh, running backs. Right, exactly. So uh, I was fortunate enough, and I've always been fascinated with clothing because I never had any when I was younger. Uh -huh. and, and, uh, and the things that I had to wear was always jeans and jeans and jeans. And, and a lot of times the knee and, and the, the, your rear end was kind of showing a little bit and out of your jeans. And I said, man, if I ever get out of these things, I'll never wear them again. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I, I'm, I'm serious. I must have been 40, you know, when jeans became a fashion. Mm -hmm. I must have been 45 before I put on a pair of jeans. And that was when they had, they were beautiful at that time, but yes. I wouldn't wear them. And every time someone saw me, they said, why are you always dressed, man? You're wearing suit pants? And I said, hey, I promised myself, man, I don't wear no jeans, you know. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't wear jeans until I was about 40 years old, you know. Uh, well, I remember. It was different back then, too. Right? Yeah, people I, dressed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I was in college, I ran for Mr. Esquire, and uh, Mr. Esquire. Yeah, which was supposed to be the, the best, best dressed. Best, yeah, in, in, in college. So I ran for Mr. Esquire and won second place. So you, now you start your fashion business. Tell us about yeah. your fashion business. Well, well. Shortly after that, I realized that's when I bought my first pair of jeans. And then a couple of years later, you start wearing people. People start wearing jeans with the butt out, the knee out. And if they had bought a good pair of jeans, they cut them up so they could be, you know, all 
And little did I know what was an embarrassment to me when I was growing up became a fashion as I got older. <laughs> and I was saying, that's, that's ridiculous, you know? And my daughter, uh, uh, my daughter went to buy some jeans and, and I don't like them, you know? And she said, Dad, this is not your time, you know? Uh, <laughs> this is just fashion. I said, I don't like it. So when I go places with her, I think sometimes she does it to aggravate me because <laughs> she know I don't like it. And, and, and if you go and look at my closet, you see about 20 suits and I all got it lined up in color and I got the ties already around the suits that I want to wear when I want to wear them because I don't want to start looking for which tie I'm going to put with this suit. You yes. know, everything is al already well coordinated, mm -hmm. you know. So I got into clothing after I left the um, after I left uh, 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 Eagles, and I joined Burlington Industries, and that's when I became interested in fashion. And I couldn't wait to start selling fabrics and, and start meeting these designers and and uh, uh, clothing manufacturers. Is what I was, you know, selling to. And I became knowledgeable in the business. And uh, and after about 15 years, I. Uh, working at Burlington, 15, 20 years, I opened up my, I started my own company, uh, Elia, a line of clothing. And uh, Lars Taylor was wearing some of my sports apparel and uh, other athletes were wearing some of my sports apparel. And I was doing good, actually, until uh, the rappers started coming on uh, in the business like Puffy Cone and Jay-Z and, and Tommy Hilfiger was one of the ones that wasn't a rapper, but he had he had the financial background to support him. They yeah. ran the business. So uh, I had to result back to uh, start doing things with the military. So you I had to reset. Yes. You had to reset. I had to reset. Thank you. I had to reset. <laughs> and that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Uh, I, I did, um, I, I started doing clothing for the military. And That's amazing. Remember, yeah. And I remember uh, this buyer had shipped some of my clothing overseas and a family member saw, saw, saw the clothing and he wrote back and says, I, I, is there somebody in our family making clothing? So uh, somebody must have told him, yeah. Uh, they call him Edward's son. Mm -hmm. You know, older people say, whose son it was. They don't oh, say it was Charlie. Right. Oh, that was Edward's son. So that yeah. was me. So uh, he was thrilled because he'd go to the PX and buy some of my clothing and say, hey, man, my, that's my name on, you know, the was, on the so he was happy with that. <laughs> but um, I did good with the Army until they changed buyers. And then uh, this gentleman decided to buy more from offshore. And that lowered my, my production uh, uh, with, with the military there. So it always seemed to have been something that would interfere with the total success that I really was looking for in the clothing industry. But I did good, and uh, I managed to get uh, 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 Macy's to buy some of my products, so they was there. And so I, I was pretty happy with that. I took one of my uh, female friends at that time, and I, I didn't tell her that we was coming. I was coming to show her my line of apparel. <laughs> so I said, uh, hey, look, let me. I, there's some things that I want to buy at Macy's. Come go with me. So I go up there, and I, I go to my rack, you know, the Evelyn rack. Yeah. We've got a rack full of clothes around there. And um, I said, what do you think about this? She said, I like that. Uh, Is that your name? 
You know? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. But that wasn't what I was really showing you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, then uh, uh, business fell off and the rappers ran down the business, as I said, and uh, I moved on to something else. I reset again. And now I'm in, I've done some uh, soft goods to hard goods because I'm in the construction business now. Wow. How did you get into the construction business? That is a big jump. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a big reset, huh? That, that is a reset. Well, I was, I was um, my partner who was in the clothing business with me went to lunch with someone they was talking about, and he was telling them how slow business was. Um, Greg, and and uh, 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 he said, hey, hey, Chuck, I met this person, and they were saying that we should try to look into uh, opening up a minority construction business because if you're a minority, you can get on, you, 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 you know, uh, SBA, you get programmed uh, as a as a small business, and um, and they're looking for minority women in minority businesses. So I said, Wow, okay. So I'm going to uh, start a company. So I started a company um, called DECA. And that is our, that was 2005. So we've been doing construction products ever since 2005. What does DECA mean? DECA means, DECA, DECA, again, I just want to say how closely I think about my family. I've always wanted to be the one to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and DECA is, uh, is, is the first initial for my four kids, Daryl, Erica, Cody, and Ashley. Wow, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. But, but even before that, Jackie, I had a, I had a food store that was selling um, uh, um, Philadelphia cheesesteaks. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had that, and, and I lost that business in a year. I lost a, a, a half million dollars in that, in that business. Oh. Before I got into the, that's right after I got out of the clothing, I got in the food business. So I've been, reset, I've been reset three, three times. times Business-wise. Wow. Well, really, you've really been reset five times because you got to figure two football teams. Okay. That's well, the That'll work. Track. And food. And now we're at construction. I'm in construction, yeah. Uh, uh, actually, what we do is basically look for uh, uh, opportunities, pricing for, for customers to get the best price so that we could get the product, the, the contract. And um, we get uh, products, we get opportunities from New York City agencies like the fire, New York City Fire Department, the Parks Department, um, uh, Housing Authority, Department of Transportation. Uh, those are people that, that, that we sell products to. And the products that we... Wow. I'm sorry? Wow, that's really amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good, but it's up and down again, too. Like I'm finding out most businesses up and down, but um, uh, there are enough agencies there to try to keep you somewhat... Um, financially capable of taking care of yourself and your family. Mm -hmm. um, but so, so the, the construction business has been pretty good. Uh, again, up and down, uh, I was able to buy a couple of homes and from that, so I'm not, I'm not uh, complaining. Yes, 
But, but the, you know, I, I know I've jumped ahead quite a bit from my family uh, as we grew up because we used to do anything that was legitimately that would allow us to make money. We chopped cotton. <laughs> we picked cotton. Wow. Uh, there was a man who had cows next door. I would take his cows out to pasture, you know, when I was in grade school and, and beginning in high school, I was a grocery boy. I used to go to people's home. I was an ice boy on the weekend, you know, an ice boy like at from four to five o'clock, four to six o'clock. Then I go and be a grocery boy when the store opened at seven o'clock. So and I used to go to some of the same people home, knocking on the door, and I say, "Ice boy," you know, on the weekend. And uh, later on that day, I knock on the same person's door. Grocery boy. <laughs> and the lady said, Lord, that child is so confused. She don't know who he is. But, but we did anything that would make, make a dollar, you know? And I was, what, about, what about your relationship with Muhammad Ali? Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah. I, I met Ali really when I was in college. And uh, we, and a lot of that was through, because he used to, he and Wilma Rudolph and Ralph Boston, who, who broke the record of broad jumping, went to Tennessee State too. So when Ali was over there at the same time in Rome, he would, after, after the uh, Olympics, he would come to Tennessee State. And again, uh, uh, Wilma, who they call Skeeter on the campus, would come and get some of the ball players. and a lot of time it happened to have been me, and take pictures with Ali. We were in magazines together. Uh, as a as a football player, you know, so they would put the athletes, athletes together. together, right? And that's how I met Ali, and we became very close. And actually, uh, I got to tell you, that is one sweetheart of a guy. If I told you what what how he went out of his way to do things for me, um, every nice thing that you've ever heard about him, it is absolutely true. Um, yeah. I took my project to him and uh, Drew Bundy, whom you probably have heard of. He was one of his, one of his, um, uh, handlers. Uh, what would you call it? Uh, Managers, handlers. Yeah, I'll say handlers. I think of it. But, but Drew, Drew saw the product that I had and he said, what is this? I said, I can't show all week. He said, Ali ain't gonna like this. I said, huh? He said, Ali ain't gonna like this. So Ali just happened to have been walking by the table at that time. And he said, what, what you got there? I said, well, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, some school supplies. I designed some school supplies for Ali. Uh, he had, done, had never done anything with kids before, but he always loved them. And yeah. uh, always loved him, you know, and he, the minute he said he was six or seven years old, he started throwing punches at him. You think you bad? You think you can whip me? You can't, you're not greater than me. So uh, when I showed him the book, the, the notebook, uh, he says, I like this. I said, yeah, but on the back of it, I wrote a poem for you. And he read the poem and he said, you, you did this? I said, yeah. Now you think you're greater than me now. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, he was into poems and everything, you know. I said, who could be greater than you, champ? But anyway, I said, but what I did, what I wanted was to show you what I have, and hopefully that uh, I can put it into um, some of the stores. So he said, I'll tell you what, 
meet me and my wife at the airport tomorrow. I will get you a ticket. You can fly back with us to Chicago and I will call my attorney and let him know that you're coming over there. And I'll have a ticket for you. I said, Ali, you don't have to buy me a ticket. I'm trying to talk to you about business. (laughs) And and now you're too good for me to buy you anything? I said, no, but I'm talking to you for business now. It doesn't look like for me to try to have you to pay for my ticket to Chicago to see you, see your attorney. So he said, well, I tell you what, when you get there, give me a call. And everything else fell in place. Just like he said, when I got there, I called him. Uh, he said, you want me to send a car for you? I said, no, I got uh, my ex-wife to come and take me, to bring me out there. So he said, well, when you get here, you know, uh, get to the gate, give me a call, and, and you know, you come in. So he took care of everything as he said he would. And ever since then, we've been very close, you know. Uh, I would go to the camp at Deer Lake, and I would showcase my product with kids. And, oh, see, you should have had the picture with, with, uh, that I had with him. I had about 15 or 20 kids with T-shirts, the, the T-shirts that I designed, with the, and he was holding the notebooks. And uh, he was just pleased with it, uh, you know. And what we wanted to do was do a golf tournament uh, on behalf of Ali. Um, oh. But he became ill, and um, some of the people didn't think it was a good idea uh, at that time because he wasn't into golf. Uh, yeah. But we, was, we were trying to do it for the purpose of raising funds for his, um, for his center. Sure. Yeah. But uh, my life's been very interesting. Very I've, interesting. You know, I've been very pleased. I've, I've met, uh, I was counting in my house many of the athletes that I've had a chance to meet. Um, and you're talking about somebody from the ghettos of Memphis, and, um, and, and, and I've been able to come and, and, and uh, acquire the things that I've had in life. I've had a very interesting life, and my brothers and my family members are still here. Blessed, as we call them. We're tremendously blessed, you know? Yeah. So what, well, what would be well, your advice? Go ahead. Do you want to ask? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. And I feel like you hear stories of people, they give up so quickly before they have a chance to be victorious and have success. Yes. What would you say is in you that gives you that desire to win even after maybe it's not failure it's kind of like let me reposition myself but a lot of people look at something not happening the way they appeared it or thought in their head it was going to happen as failure what is inside of you that makes you keep going to try again to try something new because it's hard to be an entrepreneur yeah um well you, you, some of the things that Cecil said that he he heard me say about that my mother did, uh, uh, but there are other things that uh, I've heard from great people who've been successful. For instance, uh, he wasn't my coach, but he didn't have to be for me to see that makes sense what he said. And yes. Vincent Gordy, and I never will forget, um, he had said in, a, in, a, in an article that. Uh, um, to every man that comes in his life, when he's given a chance to do a very special thing, unique to him, yet fitted for his talent. What a tragedy if that moment you find him unprepared or unqualified. So 
a lot of those things uh, stick to my mind. And I just feel like if I can do some of those things and be qualified to do some of those things, and uh, you know, I can be successful. It's just going to take some uh, uh, a little sweat and sometimes a little tears. But we grew up doing that in football. That's why I said that a lot of the CEOs love to have athletes because they have this uh, this successful ethic. Yeah, work ethics. And I, and, and I just told you, when we were young, we chopped cotton, picked cotton, ice boy, grocery boy. So we, uh, yeah. we grew up with, with, with good work ethics and the ability to um, always try to put away something that's going to provide us for a better life uh, at another time. And um, well, the and other thought, thing, too, is your strong faith. You know, one of the things that have stuck to me that I'll never forget, um, and as an entrepreneur, it was so meaningful for someone to tell me this, was I was interviewing my good friend, John Lupo, and his friend and client, Daryl Strawberry. And we were talking about not feeling like maybe you belong in that moment or you don't feel qualified to do a certain thing and how God has all these provision set for you and he, he will make it happen and Daryl Strawberry said you should never worry if anyone qualifies you because it's God that qualifies you and he'll make it happen for you if you allow it and allow yourself to have the opportunity and I never forgot that because I've, I've found myself personally just like you have in all these situations I mean think about it what did you really know about concrete what did you really know about clothes? But you made it happen and you learned and I'm sure all these people came in your life and boom, you have these businesses. You should see you should see some of the things that I made. I still think that yeah. uh, I, it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and maybe I need to look a little deeper. But, but here's another <laughs> thing. Hey, hey, Jackie, here's another one of my sayings that I learned. Only as high as you reach can you grow. You're Only right. as far as you seek can you go. Only as deep as you look can you see. And only as much as you dream can you be. So I, I have a tendency to put all those things together, you know, so that I can have the kind of life, successful life, that I envision it to be. So uh, I, I still think that... Um, uh, it might not be me. Maybe it'll be my daughter, you know, my younger daughter. Uh, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of prayer in my family because yes. I, don't, I think, you know, my, my older daughter, she has a double master in, uh, in theology. So as I told you, all of my, my siblings have finished college. And so far, all of my kids, well, one hadn't finished, two has. And one is just uh, age 17 years old. So she's, you know, uh, hopefully on her path. On yeah, her path she's still in high school. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Chuck, what are, what are three tips you would give somebody going through a reset? Or what three tips would you give people if they needed to reset their life? What are three tips? Three ideas. Three ideas. Uh, see, fool, you, you, you're doing your uh, martial arts. Or you're putting your... <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the king of stories, so if you'd rather just tell us a reset story, that's fine too. Uh, I know you got them up your sleeve somewhere. Uh, well, uh, well, one of the things that's what I, what I would always tell tell 
uh, Ashley. Jackie Ashley is my younger daughter. Uh, she was in Seafood School uh, Academy ever since she was like seven or eight, I think. And uh, she was able to get her black belt at nine. And uh, she has a second degree black belt uh, at, at 12. So, wow. and, 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 and the things that I, am, I, I uh, explained to her was that failure, to answer your question, will never overtake you if your determination to succeed is strong enough. So I wanted to make sure she that. understood that. But I, Jackie, I told her that when she was like three years old, but I told her also, I just want you to learn it. I'm not asking you to know what it is, but you will grow into the meaning of it. But if you just learn what I'm saying, and I would come home from, from the office and I'd say, what did daddy teach you? So she couldn't say the whole thing, but eventually within a week's time or less, she had put it together. And I said, now daddy, no, you don't know the meaning of what it really is saying, but you will when you get a little older. And, and when we was on our way for her first black belt, she said, Daddy, I know what failure will never overtake you mean now. Mm -hmm. And I said, what? Well, my older daughter, she got, her, she, she got as far as her green belt. And she, Ashley said, well, I'm going to get my black belt. And she said, I didn't quit. And I was determined to get my black belt. So I didn't fail. I said, no, you didn't. And she said, now I'm going to get my second degree. So she started working on her, her, her third degree uh, uh, in class, but then she stopped playing volleyball at school. And yes. you know, she's quite a singer, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah she's, she, been, she's auditioned for. Now I'm bragging. Exactly. <laughs> I got to brag a little bit. I want to brag about my daughter, who's a, she's an activist. That's her title, you know, same as uh, Martin Luther King, and she makes trips to uh, uh, Erica. She makes a lot of trips here to the uh, United Nations. Uh, oh. She's an actor. But, That's um, so nice. But, but, yeah, Ashley, when she was 12, because she couldn't get on any of the other programs, but when she was 12, she, she auditioned for The X Factor uh, under Simon Cowell. And uh -huh. out of 40,000 who auditioned that year, she uh, was a part of 218 that made it to um, Hollywood. And of those 218, she made she uh, made it to the top 16, but she didn't get to the top 10. That's amazing, though. You're a really great singer. And she was 12 Very years talented. old. You know. Wow. And she was, but 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 Sifu, she was um, she was five. She's five ten. So she's a tall, beautiful, beautiful girl. And a lot, a lot of Sifu's younger kids was some, many of them was Asian. And because of They're that, <laughs> there was a size difference. And Sifu, when she was getting her second degree black belt, she had learned quite a bit. And I thought she was a little more physically talented than some of them were. Yes. So Sifu had her to spar New York Giants a money tumor who was six <laughs> five, who was six five to get her black belt. Cause yeah, he didn't want to put her with any of those other little small kids because it, it was it was about as mismatch for her to fight them as she fighting a money tumor. Yes. 
Yeah. I, I didn't know if you knew Money Tumor, but he was a receiver. Yeah, so so you know who I'm talking about. So she said yeah. so, so when 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 Sifu matched them up, said Ashley, put the gloves on, you'll fight a money tumor. I said, Ashley, don't hurt him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so she said, Dad, I tried to hit him, but I couldn't get to him. She was really trying to put a lick on a money tumor. Uh -huh. so, a lot of humor, but uh, yeah, yeah. Did you give us our three tips? I, get, I thought I gave you two. Gave us one. <laughs> I gave you one. One. It's oh, really strong. It's I'm sorry? Really, the one tip is really strong. It is really strong. Well, yeah. well um, come on, I know but, you got uh, it. I mean, how, resetting how, is hard. How, how about, how about uh, one of the other things I told us was everything we do or say in our lives every day has a consequence. And where we find ourselves today is the results of what we've done before. And, and I had to remind her of that recently. Because, uh -oh. because we, we, as humans and as, as uh, 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 believers in God, uh, have a tendency to um, uh, shape our own destiny. And sometimes, yeah. obviously, we make mistakes along the way. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to make Ashley have to realize that uh, uh, everything you do or say has a consequence. And where you find yourself today is a result you've done before. And, uh, and I, I would give us some examples about um, just because you were um, uh, you caught stealing or you caught doing something, that's, yeah. That didn't start the day you stole. That started with the thought process of before. About Everything it. you do or say. So um, I, I just hope that I can give her enough um, uh, uh, thought process in her mind that she can process it correctly and apply it in situations that she finds herself in, either to prevent her from doing things. And those are some of the things that when I was doing motivated talks uh, in school, and because a lot of the kids in those schools, uh, they look at athletes, uh, uh, people like Sifu and myself. And, and I used to, was on speaking and gave with some of my uh, stars, Willie Mays, people I looked up to, I feel that's and in hockey. And I was speaking with them. So I look up to them and I, you know, we leave the stadium uh, of the auditorium and I just want to make sure that I left the kids with something that I thought would stay with them rather than trying to uh, encompass everything four or five athletes have said, because there's a lot being said. So I, I, I would always try to leave them with something that, uh, that I thought that would, would, they okay. would have a tremendous impact on, because what they're looking at is sports. But we try to tell them... <laughs> If you ask me what what I would think you should do, I think you should get the books. Because I look out in the audience, you got maybe three or four hundred kids out there you're talking to. You and you got maybe a, a hundred athletes out there that's listening. I would say maybe two or three of them will be successful in, 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 in sport. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what I love this? You talk about your thoughts a lot. And that is, I think, been one of the recipes. Obviously, you have many recipes in there, but one of the recipes is your success of how you've thought about things and they've manifested into the physical. 
You saw yourself in that uniform. You saw yourself playing. You saw yourself going pro. You saw yourself like, hey, this isn't working out. I better get in business. Everything you thought of came true. You made it happen. There's well, so much power in that. Repeat that, man. <laughs> so, uh, wow, yeah. thank you. But, but thank it was a pleasure. It was, it was a pleasure speaking to you. And, and I know we were bouncing around a lot of things I introduced initially. Uh, perhaps some things that I didn't, I didn't follow through on that particular uh, 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 conversation, but I touched on how some of it turned out. Uh, yes. For instance, um, I didn't go through the process of how, how my sister and my brother and all of us uh, made it through high school and grade school and all of this, but we did it with some of the things that you said earlier with love and we competed uh, nicely with each other, you know? Yeah. And, um, and we had, there were some, some uh, different, difficult situations in our family. We had some issues that we had to, to live with. Um, and, and you know what, Jackie? I want to say this because I think it's important. Uh, the ghetto lifestyle, that was, wasn't something that I envisioned myself staying in. And a lot of people yeah. feel that I, I don't know, I'm going to have, well, I'm, I'm a product of this situation. My father uh, was an alcoholic. And yes. all the things that I told you we accomplished, we accomplished them with the parent, with one parent who was an alcoholic. And I, as I got older, I could understand why he drank the way he did because of the time that we lived in. Yes. Know, uh, segregation yeah. and... Uh, and a lot struggles. of uh, the struggles that we had, but but um, we 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 bond together. Uh, we competed. Uh, my my brother under my sister didn't want her to go to college, and he didn't. Lonnie he didn't want his my older brother to go to college, and he didn't. Yeah. And I started thinking about college. You know what I'm saying I didn't have any desire to go to college. I just wanted to finish high school and get a job and make mm -hmm. some money. But the little did I know at that time, uh, when my sister got out and bought her car, when she was struggling to buy a bike at one time, I said, this might work. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this picture thing might make some sense. So I, we started thinking along those lines. And then later on, my, my other brother went to college, Robert, and then Ronnie went. And I said, oh, I got to go now. So I went. Yeah. And I had a better chance of going than any of them because even though my mom never wanted me to play football, and I got some whippings because I did, because a lot of my clothing was torn off of me when I went home because we played oh. street football. And uh, I got a lot of whippings because of that. But, but you know, the success don't come without a struggle, you know? And, and, and so I... Uh, she told me, I don't want you out there playing football. And I, I slipped out one day to play when I was in high school to play a game away. And I asked her if I could spend a night over to a friend's house. And she said, yes. And that was the night that we left to go play football out of town, which was in Arkansas. But Oh, wow. Um, that, I know that, it's right next door, though. I'm sorry? I know Arkansas is right next door to Memphis. Though. Right, right. And, yeah. uh, but, but, but my point is 
the thing that she didn't want me to do ended up being a livelihood for me and a way through college. Because even though I had, I told you earlier, I paid for my first quarter that I went out for football spring training, and I won a scholarship the next year. And it was a, a three-year scholarship because I, I had three more years left in, in, in college. So um, I, I was fortunate. And uh, what she didn't want me to do, but I, I think she didn't want it because she didn't want me to get hurt, like most parents don't. But mm-hmm. we don't think of being hurt. You know, when you in a contact sport like that, you don't think about, you think about excelling no. and, you know, doing your part and doing my part. So um, I don't know if I've talked you guys to death here, but as Steve no. said, <laughs> I would be happy to have the part too. But I hope that there was something in some of the things that I said that makes sense and, um, and, and would resonate with somebody who's watching and say, wow, that, that does make sense, you know. And, uh, I you're, have... you're an inspiration for many people in many ways. And I think yeah. to be 78, to be in the shape that you're in, you know, to, to watch you do those push-ups. I mean, you know, and just to listen to you, your philosophy and how you've applied it to your life. I think a lot of our listeners have already benefited and hopefully motivated to get off the couch and actually do something. So with that, Jackie, reset, reset. because you, you deserve, deserve it. it.